Hello and welcome to this episode of The Pod Presents Primarily Context-Based. This podcast is a collaboration between CTO Craft and Skiller Whale, and it was inspired by the Q&A site Stack Overflow, where questions have a single right answer. And questions can be closed and archived because they're considered primarily opinion-based. Well, we think that the most interesting questions don't have a single right answer, and they are primarily context-based. And in this podcast, we're going to take one of those questions, talk about a range of answers and the context which makes them appropriate. My name's Howell Carver. I'm the CEO and one of the founders of Skiller Well. We do live team coaching for tech teams, which is individually personalized, hands-on sessions with a live expert delivered remotely in one-hour chunks. I've been a CTO for the 10 or 12 years before starting the company. I've run dinners for CTOs for three years. I've been a CTO coach. And one thing I've seen is that the same questions come up again and again, but with different answers every time. And that's because context is critical. Today, we're going to be addressing the question of how you should be spending your time as a leader. And I'm delighted to be joined by Matthias Meyer, who is an executive coach at the Intentional Organization. Hi. Hi, Howard. It's lovely to be here. It's lovely to have you. Tell us a bit about your background and what's, what's got you to this place. Where to start? Uh, Aaron, as you said, I'm an executive coach and founding partner at a company called The Intentional Organization. Also co-author of a forthcoming book with the same title that I'm writing together with my business partner, Sarah. And I'm, you know, as for my career, I'm a former engineer myself, turned founder, turned engineering executive, and then turned leadership coach. I've gone through the challenges of you know, growing from a coder to leading entire companies as a CEO and also in engineering departments as a CTO, which you know included managing my own time and helping others to manage their time quite a bit. And these days I support engineering executives in their personal and professional growth challenges uh, as they go, go through very similar you know, experiences. And again, that includes, as you said, managing one's time quite a lot. Absolutely. And for our audience, which is primarily technical leaders, I'm sure they will have heard of Travis CI in particular, a company which you you co-founded and led as well, right? That is very true. That's uh, I started as an engineer uh, at Travis CI with you know a bunch of uh, co-founders. There were five of us in total, all engineers. And yeah, at that company over time, you know, moved into the role of CEO and, you know, was... To be honest, quite lost when I started, you know, being uh, being in that role, trying to figure out what it is, and then again, like one of my earliest challenges was, where am I spending my time and how? It just keeps coming back. Yeah, well, indeed, and I think time is important because I I think it's the one resource we have that we can never get back. Money is fungible. Money tomorrow can make up for money today. Like there might be more money tomorrow, but you will never have more than 24 hours in a day. It's, it's right. such a valuable resource. And all um, the money in the world won't buy you a second of time. Right, exactly. One of the kind of reasons this topic, I think, felt such a good one for, for us to discuss is because it seems to be a real recurring part of the work that you're doing. And it's definitely been a recurring thing in my experience of time and how it's spent. There's like that cliche, don't tell me what your job title is like, tell me how you spend your time and I'll tell you what your job is. I take that and I think, how can you look at your time and evaluate whether you're spending it effectively or not? Maybe that's a good starting point for us. So I'd be interested if you've seen the same phenomenon I have, which is when people become leaders for the first time, when they kind of go beyond 
being an individual contributor and start to like lead a team and and have to take on those extra responsibilities, have that wider context and maybe longer term awareness. They are unwilling to to not do the work themselves. Mm-hmm. Like you, you used the word delegate when you were talking there, which reminded me of the the Eisenhower decision matrix, which I'm guessing lots of people listening will be familiar with. The idea that you classify things as important or not urgent, not important or not important, ur- or urgent or not urgent, and based mm-hmm. on that, you grid, you either do delay, delegate, or drop. Uh, I think there might be different words, but they always begin with D. And when people have been Take the technologists themselves when they've been the coder and then they get to make those decisions one thing i've seen is they want to carry on doing the things themselves because they worry that if they delegate that person will do it worse like i can do it better because i i know this code more i know that bit of the code base better so i should do it and because if i delegate they will do it worse they don't want to drop because what if you know, there's a there's a kind of well, if we drop this task and then something bad happens, that that bug that we're not going to bother fixing ends up being the reason why the big client we all want to close doesn't want to buy from us. That would be terrible, and it would all come back to me. And they don't want to delay for a similar reason. They don't want to leave till tomorrow. Something that they, you know, it'll only take an hour. So I'll just quickly, I'll quickly do it. And actually, it took a bit longer because I started solving that problem that led me down a bit of a rabbit hole. I, and so everything kind of gets shifted, even even with that that mental frame of thinking and the idea of delegation. Everything kind of gets rounded back towards the do box in the matrix. Is that something that you've seen? Yes, it's very common. I mean, I experienced this myself and it, it's very common, especially for an engineer. This is it. Like, it's, you know, I know how to do this best. Um, and why should, why should I ask someone else to do it when it just takes me an hour? As you said, uh, this challenge comes up quite a bit. Um, and you know, the frustration that also comes with, you know, if, if the other person say doesn't do it in the way that, you know, my, you know, that say you as a CTO would have done it. Or, you know, there's, they're struggling or it takes three or four hours. It takes a lot longer than it would have taken you. And it takes even longer than they said it would take things like that. There's a lot of frustration in that. But to me, it's, you know, there's a simple question. There are two simple things that I take, you know, clients through as, you know, as we're talking about this. One question is, why'd you hire these people? What'd you hire them for? Like, what's, you know, what, what, what did you, what were you hoping for? When you grow your team, that's mm-hmm. always, you know, there's a, you know, of course the easiest answer to that is, well, we get more stuff done. Right. And so then you can take that purely. It's like, well, how's that going to work if you're doing all the work for them? What is the stuff that they're doing? And if you keep doing that, there's a simple math question that is involved where as your number, the number of your customers growing, as the rest of the organization is growing, as your responsibilities are growing or as you know we the expectations are growing so you raise more funds uh where you know new investors come in or you know you get uh you know more well-paying customers involved or enterprise customers it's a very different set of expectation right and say you do all of the work that piles on you know maybe even picture that on just the to-do list right they would just keep adding things to that and then it becomes a very simple math problem where it's like you have 24 hours in your day, eight of which you should be sleeping and a couple of which ideally another eight, you should be not thinking about work or, you know, at least doing something else and spending time with friends and family. 
it's, there's only so much you can get into your day. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, the work then that we do is to just accept that these people were hired for a reason, right? They were hired for us to trust them with work. And, you know, for, uh, they, they created a challenge for us in that way. And, uh, it's the, the interesting thing can then just be to just accept that challenge and figure out how you can do that in a way that plays to, you know, maybe what you enjoy, uh, gives you an opportunity to, you know, transfer knowledge and upskill people, um, and just let things go. And it sounds a little bit easier as I'm saying this and thankfully, you know, to the credit of the people that I work with, most people recognize that this is a thing they need to do because mm. they're just spending, uh, you know, 10, 10 or 12 hours a day, or they're at the end of the week, they might be frustrated that their team, uh, you know, didn't say finish all of the work that was planned for this sprint. Um, and then they spend maybe even the weekend, the weekend fixing that or working, you know, just working to finish up the work rather than to take time again and figure out, okay, what is actually going on here? Like, did we, did we over plan? Did we under plan? Did we, you know, did our team actually have the right skills for this work? And then what do we need to do to get the skills for this? Like, that's one aspect of this. It's taking that moment. It's again, taking that moment to sort of step back and make sure that you're considering the situation and not just solving the problem right in front of you, but you're thinking, yeah. how do I make this, this problem not be a problem next time? And that's work, right? And it takes time. It takes, you know, you say as the for you know, up until now, most experienced coder in the company to actually take somebody aside and, you know, spend an hour to walk them through whatever you would do, right? It's like, say you're, you know, say you have very ingrained infrastructure knowledge about the, this setup that, you know, the product is running on, then, you know, you could, again, you could do all these fixes yourself, or you could do them yourself whilst you have someone listening in and you explain out loud what it is you're doing. And then that person gets to do the next round, right? And they're, you're basically, you're basically flipping it around. It's like, they're going through whatever, you know, is then the work that needs to be done and they're explaining it to you. And so it's a super easy exercise, but right. It takes time and it takes a level of patience where someone might sit there. It's like, can you explain this to me again? Or I didn't get what you were doing there. Uh, or they just ask questions that seem just weird to you because to you, this is all intuitive, you know, this, you're not mm. even doing this out of experience, but it's just, it's just flowing out of your hands into the keyboard without you even thinking about. Right. You take for granted the way things work. And so yeah. you, you wouldn't even think to explain that. That's an interesting point. That stuff is work, but actually as you become more of, more of a leader and more of a manager, thinking can be work. Mm -hmm. Just sitting down for, for half an hour and thinking about a problem or strategy or where things should be in six months' time. That's a, a key part of work that sometimes people don't make time for, or they feel guilty about treating that as work. Yes. And I think one of the things that, that came up before when we were talking about this whole idea of spending time is meetings. Mm -hmm. And I think meetings are the curse sometimes. They, there's research from the Harvard Business Review that 64% of people find that uh, meetings come at the expense of deep thinking, 
which yeah. is huge that, that you can have so many meetings in your day that you can't even find the space to actually think about the problem to solve. I've been in developer teams where at a retrospective, someone will say the average time of our stand-up meeting this week was 11 minutes. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to get them shorter? And everyone's like, damn, we need to solve this problem. And at the same time, like you talk to me when they're sort of starting to go to non-technical meetings and they can say, yeah, that was a good meeting. Like it was an hour and a half long. And like the last five minutes, I even said something. Like, oh no, like, this is this is terrible. This sounds like an awful use of your time. I think you, you've seen this problem as well, right? That, mm-hmm. that meetings yes. become this drain on people and the the opposite of allowing for thought and the rest of their work. How do you think about that? Where do you start in solving that problem? Well, I mean, you know, the, the question about, you know, from the retrospective about the daily stand-ups, right? That's an interesting one because, I mean, that's how even like the smallest startups start out with these daily stand-ups and somehow the practice just sticks. It even evolves and it spreads. You know, you have one stand-up and then you have another stand-up. Maybe one is the engineering department or an engineering team. One is department-wide and then one is company-wide. Or another example, the CEO, they were, the CTO has already multiple teams under them and they're just participating in all these daily stand-ups. And so the, you know, the question to me wouldn't just be how can we make it shorter? The question to me would also be for A, for the CTO in this situation, do I need to be in these meetings? What am I getting out of these? Am I actually contributing something? And usually when you're a CTO with three teams, the answer to that question is no. These meetings are to make you feel better, right? They're, you are you are participating to make yourself feel better uh, because you feel like you have a grasp of what everybody is working on. Uh, and you know, when, you know, something comes up, you maybe get to share a nugget of wisdom here and there. Uh, but it's mostly right to keep, you know, keep a pulse on what the teams are working. I think that's one. I think the other aspect of this question, also the focus time that you mentioned is there's, you know, it's very common practice to put focus time on your calendar. Right. But, you know, I, I find it even for myself and, you know, for some of my clients, it's a challenge to actually do something with that time. You know, many of them say, it's like, well, I have this block on my calendar, but it keeps filling up with other meetings. And then, you know, it's the question of, well, why are you saying yes to these meetings? Well, they seem important, right? Or, you know, they seem urgent, <laughs> any of those things. And, you know, I think the, the simplest answer is, and, and so it plays to what you said earlier, it's like you might go, you can go to a meeting and maybe you've, you've even contributed something. Uh, you answered a question, you helped unblock someone in that meeting and you feel good afterwards. You feel like, wow, this is a great use of my time. I unblocked someone over my team. Mm. Uh, now I want to go back to my focus time and say, like, oh, wait, there's a Slack message. Or there's another meeting that popped up on my calendar. Um, and so, you know, there's not just the meetings, there's also the constant distractions that we're, you know, exposed to that just play, just play very badly together and actually making time for us to, to think. Um, for me, like one of the simplest practices and you know, to actually make that space is to, uh, you know, not touch devices before a certain hour of the day. It's a practice I've actually mm-hmm. been trying this, this year, uh, because I mean, I've, you know, I work mostly solo 
Uh, my day is by definition mostly meetings. Um, and, you know, it's easy to fall into the distractions of the internet, uh, which, you know, there are plenty of. And, you know, not actually create space. And so I you know that took that as in this year as an opportunity to try something different. Where, you know, I used to, on a Friday, I just didn't go into work at all. And work, that's, that's the challenge of focus time also. It's like, it doesn't feel like work because you're not, you know, you're not typing words or you're not talking to mm -hmm. someone. You're actually spending time thinking about a problem that maybe nobody else in the company is equipped or even has the authority and influence to think about. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't feel like you're working in a weird way. Whereas, you know, a meeting will always feel like work, whether it's a good meeting or not. And so, I mean, you know, there's these, these three challenges coming together, like, you know, focus slots filling up with meetings, constant distractions, whether it's, you know, the company chat or other stuff, you know, messages or phones, whatever it is, and just meetings feeling really good. Uh, and then, you know, this, maybe there's a fourth one, the, you know, the challenge of actually getting into the mindset of focus, right? That you're, you're actually, you, you can't feel good about, say, if I were to sit down in my chair here and stare out the window for a half hour, while I'm thinking about something, you know, say what, you know, the hiring pipeline should be looking like, or, you know, why the last hire didn't work out as we expected them to. And just actually figure out, you know, look at this problem from different angles. It just, it, yeah, it, there's this weird world where this doesn't feel like work. And there's this alluring illusion, as you said, that going to meetings, being present, listening to other people talk is work and is therefore valuable and the thing that frightens me most in, in what you're saying is is not so much the bad use of the leader's time like if someone's going to three or four stand-ups in a morning that might be a, a waste of their time but you've also now introduced this coordination problem between all of those stand-ups like if one of them overruns suddenly you're late to the other one and everyone's saying oh well hang on Howell isn't here yet, so let's just hold on a bit. And then suddenly, like, that has this knock-on effect of kind of disrupting the schedules for way more people. And so you end up becoming a problem until someone takes you to one side and says, do you really need to come to our stand-up? You know, I'll, I can update you at the end of the week or whatever it is and tell you how we're doing. Yeah, I mean, you become a bottleneck, right? And I think that's the challenge of, you know, most things or most things that you used to be involved in or, you know, coding as one or decision-making where people, if people keep coming to you and, you know, keep waiting on you, you're the bottleneck here. In this case, you're the bottleneck in meetings. You're actually holding up other people's time. Uh, and, you know, that plays into all kinds of other growth challenges that you just have as a leader. And especially, you know, which all comes back to the questions like, where am I spending my time? What is the best use of my time right now? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That is what it all comes back to is how should you be spending your time? And then how do you actually do that? And meetings can be one of the blockers to, to getting there. I was reading about Shopify's press release in the, the new year that they are, they're purging all meetings with more than three people there. They're not having any meetings on one day of a week. Although I think that's, that seems to be quite common yeah. in some of the bigger tech orgs. That's a, a fairly normal practice now. But also um, a challenge, right? Because it's always tempting to just schedule a meeting. The temptation is always there, even when it's a meeting-free day. And maybe there's an excuse. Maybe there's, you know, it's, it's just this one time, right? And 
you know, as a CEO, this is special for me, or, you know, I get to do that, things like that. There's all kinds of excuses that pop up. But anyway, sorry, keep going. Those kind of exceptional rules to me, though, feel a bit like a compensation. It's easier to say no one gets to schedule any meetings on Wednesday than it is to improve meeting hygiene overall. Very true. My instinct is if we could find a good way of improving meeting hygiene, we wouldn't need that kind of rule. Yeah. I, I don't know, but at least an organization like Skill Whale, I think it's the case that we are small enough to improve our meeting hygiene being a, a better option than that kind of rule. I think it's a good practice for in a company of any size to keep. Or, you know, whether it's a department as they, you know, they grow to, you know, exorbitant proportions as a company. That's, you know, but the key thing is that the people at the top do the same thing, right? And don't do these, ex- don't do exceptions for themselves. Uh, in this, you know, in the case of Shopify, they were just the ones who are saying, well, you know, just grab your entire calendars since mm-hmm. you either start over or don't have these meetings at all anymore. Because I mean, one thing behind that is many meetings, once they're on the calendar and especially the recurring ones, they do take a life of it. They do take on a life of, of their own, right? Where they just keep on existing and people keep showing up because it's on the calendar. And nobody is asking the question of why are we having this meeting? You know, mm-hmm. and again, like this is what I find so curious about this is the retrospective part, you know, about, you know, can we shorten this meeting? Uh, again, the question should be, do we need this meeting at all? Or what do we need from this meeting? Can we roll it into another meeting that we're already having? Or my favorite question for any meeting, can this just be an email? Or whatever mm-hmm. other medium that you use that is more permanent than say Slack or Microsoft Teams, you know, where so the discussion can actually evolve be had and evolve uh, and not just be, you know, um, in spur of the moment kind of typing. Right, right. Because meetings can be can become institutionalized. That yes. it's a thought they have this momentum that means that they continue. I wonder how much of this comes down to the perceived difference like disparity in the way that people are treated when they are seen as more senior right there's a general problem in meetings of the hippo problem that that people will go with the highest paid person's opinion the outcome of the the meeting will be whoever is roughly most senior whichever direction they go people will lean and i wonder if it's the same case that if the highest paid person in the room the most senior person in that meeting is not voicing any objections to the meeting's existence everyone else feels like they can't question it. They don't feel able to say, I don't think we should be here. I know you're more, you're more senior than me, more experienced possibly. I don't think this is how we should be doing it. Yes, I very much agree. One of my favorite uh, ways of looking at this is, comes from game theory. It's called the Nash equilibrium, where, you know, basically if you have like a group of players, over time, the strategy of all players will you know, it equalize. It will form an equilibrium where everyone is playing to the, the kind of the similar strategy. Right? One outgrowth of this is, you know, an unlimited vacation policy, uh, for example, where people will balance out or, you know, build an equilibrium and will settle on a specific number of days that in the group are acceptable to take off without, you know, going too much over or too much under. And in that kind of meeting, it's the same way, right? There's a dynamic that's established uh, that, you know, where everybody is playing by the same rules and it takes 
to get out of that, there are only two ways, right? One person, ideally someone with the right authority, as you said, needs to say, what is this? Why are we spending our time with this? Or, you know, or somebody, maybe even the group, or maybe even the person with the highest seniority changes the rules and makes them more explicit, right? Say making more explicit the, the, the permission that it's okay for everybody to speak up and ask, why are we having this meeting? Or could, mm. can, this, can this meeting just be an email or a discussion thread somewhere else? Like these yes. simply, you, generally, these two options that you have to step out of this equilibrium, and yes, sometimes it needs the most senior person to pay attention to that. Because as you said, like most other people won't feel like they have that kind of voice where they might be penalized for saying something. Because everybody else might be enjoying being here because, you know, you're seeing each other. Feels good. Mm-hmm. There's stuff that's being talked about. Why be mad? Yeah. Well, indeed, I have to say one of my favorite things has become to say on a like multi-person call, I don't think I'm adding value. Does mm-hmm. anyone mind if I go? Or the kind of the other variety of that, which is to say to someone else, I don't think this is going to be a good use of your time. We've got what we need from you. Thank you. If you want to go and have other stuff to do, that's totally fine. I think those could come across awkwardly. It's really important to me to frame them that yeah. way around. Like if I'm more senior and I'm leaving a meeting, then I want to be like, I'm not going to help you. I'm just going to be kind of getting in the way and room meet here. So like, I'll just go and leave you to, to your conversation for other people who are maybe less senior in the meeting to be giving them their time back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think it's quite important to me that it, it doesn't come across as like, gosh, I'm so very important that my time is very valuable and this meeting is beneath me. Because firstly, I don't think that should be the case. And if it if it is, just say no on the calendar rather than making this big declaration in front of people. Yeah. But it's also not how, I, how I'd want to sort of come across to, to people. So I think with thought and practice, there are ways of leading by example and extracting yourself from those kind of meetings, which if you are one of the more senior people there, implicitly gives other people permission to do the same thing, either yeah. in that meeting or later. Exactly. I mean, another thing you can also say is like, hey, I don't feel like I need to be in this meeting. I trust that you're going to make the right decision. Right? If you as a leader have done your work to provide whatever context or you know process, whatever is necessary for your team to make a good decision, not the right decision, but a good decision, uh, mm. then you know you can also just say that, and it's like it's okay. Like I, you know, I I've given you everything you need. I know everything I need. It's your call. I trust that you'll make the right decision. You know, just keep me just keep me informed afterwards. That's all. Yeah. And then making that very explicit, the kind of, I often find myself thinking about the like, oh, what's it called? Like racy, mm-hmm. who's responsible, accountable, uh, who's going to be consulted and who's going to be informed and being explicit about where I want to be there then helps other people to know where, where their kind of accountabilities and responsibilities are. Because I, I think it's, it's very empowering to someone. If someone who's more senior to them says exactly as you just did, you decide, I trust you, just just keep me informed. Let me know yes. what you, you end up with. One of my own internal frameworks for meetings that I've never really formalized, but I find myself thinking about a lot, is that there are really only two styles of meetings that I'm comfortable with. One is one-to-one conversations, one person and another person. I think is generally very efficient. People are using their time well in those. No one's sitting there waiting for the conversation to move on. 
And then one to many, which I would say are presentations, that format can work well. There are variants on that. So you can have like round robin presentations where multiple people are taking it in turns to present. That can be valuable too. What makes me most nervous is many to many, or even worse, many to one. So I've definitely been in meetings with with leadership teams where the the leadership team's meeting was really every single other person in the leadership team having a conversation with the CEO and then moving on to the next person while all the rest of the people who aren't the CEO or the kind of currently spotlighted person are just sitting there waiting for the the thing to be over. Ridiculous inefficiency. Um, But I think it can devolve to that if that's if you have a many-to-many meeting, there's this worst case where you have a series of one-to-one conversations and it's just a ridiculous waste of time. I think money. I mean, you know, like there, you know, I don't advocate putting like a monetary value on meetings, but, you know, because that almost can lead you to the conclusion that no meeting is useful uh, because they all cost Mm. money, but that's not true. And as you said, there is a, you know, certain styles of meetings that are useful. But if you have a meeting where there's, say, even an enlarged leadership team of maybe eight or nine people, you have the highest paid people in the company present there, say, once a week for an hour, uh, and the CEO. CEO, maybe, you know, if you want a a rough estimate, you use the latest uh, company valuation or annual revenue, break that down into an hour, and you've got their hourly rate, right? What Mm -hmm. What their time is worth. Really rough number, but you know, it's it's not about the exact number, but actually just thinking about that, getting into that mindset of how can we make this time the most valuable to every single one of us? Or, you know, in the case that you described, is this do we actually need this meeting or shouldn't these conversations all happen in a one-on-one setting, which we have yeah. already? Right. Rather than right. say have, you know, eight or nine people again, with the highest paid people present and just waiting. I remember seeing a comment from someone who worked in a very large enterprise organization that if they wanted to buy a book, they would have to send a message to the procurement department asking for the $50 to be allocated and, you know, wait three months to find the right provider and then another six weeks for the book to arrive. But they could easily call a 90-minute meeting with 50 developers, yeah. each making $100,000 a year, and no one would bat an eyelid. <laughs> and I think that gets exactly to that point that as soon as you start putting a price on things, people don't value the sunk costs. We've already yeah. committed to pay those developers a salary, so sure, they can come to a meeting. But $50 for a book isn't in the budget yet. So we need to think very carefully about that. Yeah. I mean, we generally struggle with opportunity costs, right? Or putting a number on on something that just involves spending time on something. Right? And mm. that's, that's the challenge. Matthias, I want to say thank you so much for joining us, for giving up your time and for sharing your thoughts. I really appreciate it. And I hope this has been useful to all of our listeners. I hope so too. It was lovely to chat. Thank you. <laughs>